you've got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read verses 35 uh, down through 44, and then we're going to pray. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars different, differs from star and glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, already, Lord Jesus, you have been glorified, and we are thankful we are thankful for your presence that is among us. Lord Jesus, we would all be wasting our time if you did not show up to be with us. Lord Father, we now pray for the grace and the miracle of the presence of your spirit to open our hearts and teach us your word. Lord Jesus, as we study your word, may scales fall off of our eyes. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your name and every Christian said, amen. I told you two weeks ago, the last sermon that I preached before Pastor Nick threw a couple strikes the last couple weeks, that chapter 15 is gospel power. What a great chapter. This chapter is worthy of you taking a couple weeks and just digging in and digging deep. You know, 45 minutes seems like a long time on Sundays, but it's not enough to mine chapter 15 of all its course. We're taking four weeks, uh, so four times 45 minutes. We're walking through cha uh, this chapter verse by verse, but it's still not enough time. Uh, uh, the beginning of chapter 15 is my favorite. I preached this on uh, Easter Sunday, four or five Five years ago, uh, it, it, this, this is power, for I delivered unto you what it was of first importance. Look at verse 3 of chapter 15, just real quick. What is a first, what's the main thing? All of this glory, all of God's word, all culminates and all comes together in one main thing. And what is that main thing? 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. I didn't make it up. It was given to me that Christ died for our sins. Listen, in case you didn't know, in case your finger is not on the pulse of the American apostate church, so many so-called Christians are writing books and preaching sermons and, and promulgating a message that the cross of Christ is merely exemplary. It's merely an example to us of how we should live. Uh, Jesus really wasn't God. He was just a, a God-fearing prophet and a man who selflessly set his life aside uh, as an example to us that we should be selfless people and live like he lived. But that is false. That is a lie. That is apostate. That is heresy. That is not the gospel. If Jesus didn't die for our sins, we'd still be in our sins. He had to live the perfect life that we have not. And then he had to sacrifice. He had to push us out of harm's way, out of the wrath of God that we deserved. You can tell I hadn't been up here in a couple weeks, right? He died in our place for our sin. Don't let anyone deceive you. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. All the scriptures point to his sacrificial death in our, that we deserved. But then, what's the next verse there? Verse 4. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in a court. All of scripture points to his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his conquering of sin, death, hell, and the grave, which is what the rest of chapter 15 about. His resurrection, which leads to our resurrection. Pastor Nick last week did a great job beginning in verse 12. Two questions about the resurrection answered. The first question is verse 12. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If Jesus wasn't raised, we're still in our sins. We are to be most pitied. There's no such thing as Christianity if Christ didn't raise from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, he is the first fruits. Because he raised, we know we're going to be raised in him. Then we move to a second question that we find in verse 35 today. But before we even get there, and we've got communion today. What a beautiful sermon this is going to be to end our time together as God's people celebrating and worshiping his body and his blood. But look up to verse 33. I don't, there's three things at the end of this first question. Because let me, take a, let me take some language from our current world. There are resurrection deniers in the church. You see what I did there? You like that? No? You guys aren't paying attention, are you? Resurrection deniers in the church. Ah, there's no resurrection today. Listen to what Paul says. Three warnings here at the end in verse 33 before we get into this second question. Verse 33, do not be deceived. I got this in the mail it's addressed to, and by the way, I'm not a lawbreaker. It's not open. It's not addressed to me. It's addressed to the person who lived in the house that we bought a couple months ago. The question is, are you ready for the last days? Friends, we have been in the last. We just preached this a couple weeks ago. We've been in the last days since Pentecost. Right? 
the world. I, I never understood places in Scripture that talked about worldwide massive deception in our world. How could people be so fooled? Uh, let's look at a couple verses together. The Bible says uh, uh, before Christ returns, some things are going to happen, and we are truly living in massive statewide, countrywide, worldwide, just deception where people think evil is good and good is evil. Look at uh, a second, uh, Thessal uh, second Thessalonians chapter 2. The coming of the lawless one, which is refer uh, a reference to uh, what Revelation would call the Antichrist. John says there's, many there's been many figures who embody evil and embody the work of Satan in their lives that have uh, murdered millions and, and have been genocidal and, 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 and uh, created events like the Holocaust. There's been lots of Antichrist people in the world. But there's going to come, the Bible says, uh, a lawless one, one who will be embodied by Satan. Satan himself, by the activity of Satan with all power and all false signs and wonders. Look at verse 10. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse. Why are people deceived? Because we weren't nice to them? Because we didn't evangelize well? No, the truth is out there. <laughs> to quote the, okay, we won't get into that show. They're deceived because they refuse to love the truth. There is truth, and truth smacks in the face. Why do all of Israel's neighbors hate her? Why have they hated her for generations? Because they came on the scene quoting, Thus saith the Lord, and what comes out of God's mouth is true. And guess what? People who don't like the truth hate the truth. And thus... Look at verse 11. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. I have never seen, I never thought I would see this day in our country where an, it seems an entire generation coming out of supposedly our greatest schools in this country with an understanding that somehow evil is what's good and what's good is somehow now evil. Please hear me because the scripture is clear over and over and over again. Do not be deceived. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 quickly. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. It's justified for someone to put a baby in an oven and burn it alive in front of its parents. It's okay that they did that. That's the teaching of a demon. That's deception that comes from hell itself. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 quickly. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Verse 4, they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I can see how the stage is set for a worldwide deception that is coming, which by God's grace will usher in the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And first the dead shall be raised. And then those of us who remain, we will be changed in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, into the glorified, resurrected body that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. And all deception will be laid low and we will rejoice at the table of our conquering King and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is chapter 15. Verse 35. Oh, no, 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 wait. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals, which is a line from a a lost comedy of Menander. Uh, There are resurrection deniers in the church. Don't hang out with them. And I need you to hear this because some of you are, we're supposed to evangelize. We're supposed to be nice. We're supposed to keep on giving and giving. No, if someone is a reprobate, if someone is a a heretic and continues to hold to their heretical teaching, there is a time for Christians, as 1 John uh, clearly tells us, there's a time to stop inviting them into your home, shut the door in their face, and leave them on the outside. Why? Because bad company ruins good morals. There's a time to tell the heretic, we can't be friends. There is a resurrection of the dead. What is true is true, and you can't change it. And if you don't repent from what you're believing that's false, there's a time to shut the door. A lot of Christians don't like that, but it's biblical truth. Don't be deceived. Verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor. Look at the world we live in. People are just walking around in drunken stupor. Ups, everything upside down, everything on fire. You know, a couple months ago, as there was something going on social media about the Roman Empire. Boy, I'm taking too long. But Abby came up to me. She's like, Dad, do you think about the Roman Empire? I'm like, yeah, every day. She's like, really? I'm like, baby, my entire life is wrapped up in the New Testament, which was written in the context of the Roman Empire. Yeah, I think about it every day. But even when I'm not thinking about it from a biblical context, I'm thinking about it from the reality that this was a world empire. They conquered the known world, this great, majestic empire. And how did it fall? Oh, well, the barbarians from the north, the Gauls and the Visigoths came and invaded. That's not how Rome fell. Rome fell from the inside first. It was the corruption of her men, of her politicians that were uh, altruism died and they were taking from themselves every piece of meat on the bone that the empire could give at the sake of the empire, at the sake of the actual people who lived here. Drunken stupor, wake up. 
We're living in it right now. How many more politicians do we have to figure out are on the bankroll of a foreign entity? We got a senator in New Jersey who's going to go to jail because he's been on Egypt's payroll. The mayor of New York on the payroll of foreign entities. Joe Biden, $40,000 from where? Ukraine. What do you know? Wake up! Everything you're going to hear feeds this narrative, feeds deception. Don't be deceived. Wake up. Vote better. Not that there's any really good person to vote for. (laughs) But you can still vote better than what we got. Wake up. Third thing, do not go on sinning. Look, I, this thing's going to get so bad, but when it gets so bad, Jesus is going to return and we're going to see this great salvation. But even since, and even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. Jesus, come. I'm ready. It's hard to live in this world. It's just, it's, it breaks your heart every day when you see the darkness and the deception. But one last revival. Amen? If we can be faithful. Faithful to what? What we think? No. Faithful to what God says. It's not time to, to, cur, to cuddle people in their sins. It's time to speak truth clearly because truth breaks through the walls of deception. Truth makes the scales fall off the eyes so people can repent of sin. Stop sinning, he says. Believe what God, and in this context, what's the sin? Not believing there's going to be a resurrection. Not believing what God says is sin. It's our job. It's our responsibility in these hours at threat level midnight in our country. It is our responsibility to proclaim what is true and to live what is true ourselves as an example to all those who are living in false realities. False realities that the terrorists are the good guys. False realities that, sure, the mentally ill man who wants to dress up in a dress should teach kindergarten. False realities. A man can love a man and a woman can love a woman. False realities. Our job is to not say, oh yeah, sure, I'm sure God loves you for that. No, our job is to proclaim what God says about things so that people can repent of their sin. And if they don't, it's because they love the darkness. And they're not going to like how this thing ends. Now let's move into our sermon for the day. (laughs) 25 minutes, let's go. Second question about the resurrection. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Okay, so there is a resurrection of the dead, but what does that look like? How are they raised? What kind of body do they come? And hear the humor and understand Paul's response to this question is pretty harsh. Because the reality of the question is, what's this going to look like? I mean, have you ever seen Night of the Living Dead? That's what they're asking. 
I mean, people that have been in the ground for weeks, for months, for years, they're just going to be reanimated and be walking around all decrepit and creepy and weird looking. And, and you can see their bones. What's this going to look like? Is, does God want an army of zombies? Which is why Paul responds with, you foolish people. Of course, that's not what God wants. And by the way, just so you know, turn to Matthew chapter 22 real quick. Jesus responds to say, oh, Paul's mean. No, Paul is a man who believes the truth and is sick and tired of people being idiots. Just like Jesus. In Matthew chapter 22, look at verse 23. He's talking to this entire group of, of Israelite people, people who have the Old Testament and who should know better, but they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they come to Jesus, and we don't have time to read all this, but basically they're like, they think they stump Jesus. you got to know you're an idiot when you think you can stump Jesus. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say idiot anymore in this sermon. but I mean, we live in a world of idiots, so... Like, we got one for you, Jesus. Because in the law, if, if, if a man and a, a, a woman get married and they're not able to conceive a child and the man dies, well, it's, it's the, his next in line. It's his brother's responsibility to, to take care of that woman and to give her children. And so, so they go through this whole thing. There's seven brothers, and one of them marries this woman, but he dies before they have kids. So the next one comes in, but he dies before they have kids. And all seven brothers go through this same process, and they all die, and there's no kids, but they all married her. They all uh, took her under uh, into their home. And, and partnered with her. So in the resurrection, which one's going to actually be her husband? <laughs> we gotcha. Gotcha. Look at verse 29. This is Jesus' answer. You are wrong. <laughs> it doesn't get better than this. So for all of you who think Jesus was always sweet, Jesus was a hippie with a basket of flowers. No. no. And Jesus pronounced woes on these people. He called them sons of hell at one point. Because you got to tell people when they're wrong. You just have to. Be like Jesus. Be like Paul. Tell people when they're wrong. Because the truth is out there. Jesus said, you are wrong because you need. And why are you wrong? Because you don't know what God says. This is our hope. You're, I'm sure you are an incredibly smart person. You may have an Albert Einstein IQ. You may be unable to understand mathematical mysteries like John Lennox or someone else. But your ideology, your thoughts, the, your personality is not going to save anybody. Where does truth come from it comes from scripture it comes from what god says which is why every sunday we open the book you're wrong jesus says because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of god let's let's go back to our text you foolish person of course god doesn't want an army of zombies what you sow does not come, we got two analogies now from nature that, that Paul gives to show the reasonableness 
of the resurrection body that we're going to receive. It is reasonable for us to believe that when we die, we will be raised again in newness of life. God has written this into nature itself. You know, summer is the great prime of life. Everything's living, everything's sunny, everything's awesome. It's the prime. It's when we're building, it's when we're marrying, it's when we're having kids. It's the prime of life. We're building our careers, we're building our families. It's a glorious thing that summer represents, but summer always leads to fall. The leaves start coming off the trees, the way hair starts falling out of the head, right? Skin begins to show wrinkles and spots of age. This is what the fall represents. God has written this into nature itself. It should not surprise us. Fall always leads to winter. Winter is when everything alive dies. But as Martin Luther famously said, the resurrection is written on every leaf of springtime. Because after death comes new life. And this is what Paul is getting at here. He gives two analogies from nature to show us the reasonableness of believing that God was raised from the dead and will raise us in like fashion from the dead, giving us new bodies. This is gospel power. First analogy, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. So what is this first analogy? It's an analogy that Jesus Christ himself uses. Look at John chapter 12 real quickly. Jesus said this. There we go. Truly I say to you. Truly, truly. And that's a... A way of Hebrew speech that says, listen to me carefully. This is true. You can take this to the bank. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's speaking of himself and his cross in this. But it's, a, it's an analogy from nature that Paul uses here to show us. Right? What, what is a bare single kernel? But if you put that bare single kernel into the ground and it dies, it becomes fields of golden, wavy wheat. Look, you can take an acorn, right? It's, it's got one body, but when it dies, it becomes something greater. It becomes something better. It becomes something more fruitful. When it dies, it gets a better body. Do you see the reasonableness that we should believe in resurrected Bodies. This is Romans 8, right? For those who he foreknew, he predestined. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justifies, he glorifies. This is resurrection. Just as Jesus rose from dead, not needing hospital, but rose in power, rose in glory, rose in such a way that his own mother bows down and worships her son as God. His own brothers who didn't believe he was the Messiah until they saw him in resurrection power and glory. And this same resurrection power and glory belongs to us. Death is not the end. Next week we're going to see there's no sting from the grave any longer. This is reasonable. God's written it into nature itself. 
Look, the acorn. An oak tree doesn't look like an acorn. Acorn is pretty non-threatening. Nobody looks at an acorn and says, wow. But you look, when the acorn falls to the ground and dies, and years later you see the majestic oak, this is a picture of the resurrection. And it's reasonable to see how God has written this throughout uh, his word. Look now at the second analogy, starting in verse 39. So we go from analogy of one body leads to a, a greater body. We see it all throughout nature. But God knows how to make bodies for diverse purposes and for diverse settings. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. God knows. Are are you really worried about believing what God says? You're not sure how it's going to look? Does God not know how to make bodies for his specific purposes uh, that suits his sovereign will? Of course he does. Everything, all flesh on earth, every body on earth and in the heavens is made specifically for the purpose of where it is. Birds are the most helpless creatures on planet earth. They prey on nothing except maybe worms, right? They're just, they're like babies. They're just helpless. So what does God do? He makes them light. He gives them wings and feathers and they dominate there. We don't dominate the air. We can go in the air with human help and technological help, but you take that technology away. Our bodies weren't made. For the sky, weren't made to be away from the predators on the ground, perched high in trees or in the clefts of rocks. God made the birds specifically, gave them the safety of the air. God makes animals who live outside unless they're domesticated. So what does God do? He makes them perfectly fit for outside. They have fur. When it rains, their skin doesn't even get wet because the fur protects them from, from the elements. It keeps them warm in the winter. It sheds in the summer. Uh, fish, we can't live underwater. So God gave fish gills. He knows how to make a body for a specific time and for a specific setting. Everything in nature points to this. Even the celestial bodies. How many, I mean, we've all seen Marvel movies, right? Not anymore, I hope, but back when they were good. So glad the Marvel's busted. So glad. Disney, go woke, go broke. Freaking figure it out. Guys want to see Marvel movies today like they want to watch a WNBA game. It's just not fun. It's just not good. What am I talking about? We can't survive in space. We've seen what happens when the character gets thrown out of the ship in space. They freeze up immediately, right? Well, our human body's not fit. 
It's not fit for that environment, but the sun, the body of the sun, the body of the stars, the body of the moon, perfectly fit for their environment. God knows how to give us the bodies that we need. This resurrected body, so it is with the resurrection. Look at verse 42. You don't have to worry, how's this thing going to work? You're not going to be walking around looking like the crypt keeper. God knows how to give you a new body for a new time. God knows how to give you a resurrected body. What is that resurrected body going to look like for eternity? A body that we're going to have for the rest of time. What's it going to look like? Four things. Now watch this as we read these next few verses. Because we're going to see four big ideas of what is sown and what is raised. Just like the kernel that falls to the ground and dies. That's what's sown. But what is raised is the field of wheat. What is raised from the acre, what's sown is the acorn. What's raised is the oak tree. Uh, see this, because we are one way now, but it's not going to be the way we're going to be for eternity. We are, so, we are being sown right now as we are, but we will be raised much different. So let's look together. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Each and every one of us right now on planet Earth, we're like a can of beans in the cupboard. There is on every one of our bodies. Some of you are young. Some of you are like, yeah, my expiration date, I think is tomorrow. But each and every one of us in this body right now, this body of flesh, each and every one of us has an expiration date. For God has written a day for, for all mankind. There is a day. This, hum, this human body right now, what is sown, is perishable. This body wasn't made to house our spirits forever. By the way, this body is just kind of a holding cell for who God has made us to be. And to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? But there is a new glorified body coming at the second coming of Jesus Christ. This body. That's why Paul calls it a body of death in Romans. That's what this body is. Every one of these bodies is going to die. It's perishable. But we will be raised what's sown perishable, but what is raised imperishable. Here's what that means. The new body we receive at the second coming, at that trumpet sound, the second coming of Christ will never, it's a body suited for eternity. It's not a body suited for here and now. It's a body that's suited for the new heaven, for the new earth, for the new city, the new Jerusalem. Uh, it's a body that will never again die in perishable. It's the body you're going to have for the rest of eternity as you bask in the glory of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's sown has an expiration date. None of us can escape it unless the Lord returns or sends a flaming chariot from heaven to take you out. Wouldn't you love to be Elijah or Enoch? Or, well, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable, will never die again. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Right now we live in a world bound by sin. 
Adam and Eve, our first parents, sinned. All of us, like them, are under the curse of their sin, and we have all added to the curse with our own sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we live within the curse of our sin. Right now, what is sown is dishonor. It's why the world can be so upside down. It's why people can side with terrorists instead of innocent people that were murdered for no reason other than the nationality that they are. It's why thorns and thistles are constantly against us. It's why the world is so hard. What's sown is in dishonor. Right now we live in an age of dishonor due to sin. But then we are raised in glory. That word glory goes all the way back into the Old Testament. It means the weightiness of God. Right, right now we are image bearers of God in this sinful world. And we are to bring God glory and make his name great. And by God's grace we can do that while imperfectly here on earth in our sin. We can still bring glory to God. But what is raised will always bring the full glory of God to light. Our new bodies will be bound and wrapped and emulate his glory. No more sin. No more thorns and thistles. No more hardship. No more heartache, no more hearts broken. All things that are wrong are going to be made right in this new body that perfectly reflects the glory of our God, our Lord, our Savior, our Maker, our Creator. We will be as He fully wants us, this beautiful mess. He takes and he glorifies and he makes perfect as he is perfect. Now hear what I said. I didn't say we're going to become God. But our new bodies are going to be perfect as he is perfect. He will always be creator. We will always be creation even in our new bodies. Just so we're clear. Third thing, we got to move six and a half minutes. What is sown is in weakness. But it is raised in power. Look, even the most exceptional among us. A couple weeks ago, every Bulldog fan, when we saw Bowers go down, Bowers is an exceptional tight end. <laughs> For you ladies, his name is Brock Bowers. He's a football player. That's all you need to know. He's big, he's strong, and he can make the plays, and he's one of the reasons George is number one. Amen? So be it. Yes. Amen. But even he, right now, lives in weakness, as we all do. We break arms. We break legs. Hair falls out. Bodies decay. We're getting older. We're not getting stronger. We're getting weaker. Because what is now is sown in weakness. But what will be raised will be raised in power. Listen, our new bodies is why the Bible says, no more tears. No more sickness, no more cancer, no more leukemia, no more disease, no more bacteria, no more fungi, no more virus. Our bodies in power, not weakness, will never decay, will never grow old, will never get sick. We're not going to wake up in eternity in our new bodies and think, man, I didn't do anything last night, but Lord, my back hurts. It's beautiful, right? 
We're going to get to watch the Bulldogs in eternity. And there's never going to be an injury as they continue to win. (laughs) Got to throw it in there. Four and a half minutes. Last thing. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. Listen, the new container for our souls is going to be a work of God's spirit. Just as it is God's spirit who raised Christ from the dead, so it will be God's spirit who raises us and gives us this new body that is bound and made up by God's spirit himself. What, is, what we see now is the flesh. It's like John 3 says, what's born of flesh, the only thing that can come from flesh is flesh. But what comes from the spirit is of the Spirit, our new bodies are not going to be weak. They're going to be powerful. They're not going to be natural. They're going to be spiritual. They're not going to be perishable. They're going to be imperishable. There's not going to be any dishonor in these bodies. It's going to be the glory of God fully and finally and perfectly revealed as we enjoy Him forever in these new bodies that He gives. Praise the name of the Lord. Watch this. Let's end with the gospel as we get ready for communion. And if you communion guys will we'll go ahead and uh, begin to pass out the elements so we'll be fully ready for Pastor Nick to come and lead us. Verse 45, let's read the rest. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, which by the way, we just talked about the reasonableness of believing that we're going to have a resurrected body. Now we move into the certainty. We need this new resurrected body. Next week we're going to talk about the necessity of the resurrected body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. You know, Jesus Christ is the only, as we're passing around, His body and His blood. Jesus was the only religious leader who ever did anything. Now there's insane asylums full of people who think they're God. But Jesus is the only religious leader who ever actually produced something good in the history of humanity that said He came down from heaven. Muhammad and others, they they claim to have visions of heaven. They claim to have gone up and seen heaven. But Jesus is the only one who said, I come from. He's the second Adam who comes from heaven. He's not of the earth. As was the man of dust, verse 48. So also are there are those who are of the dust. Flesh can only bring about flesh. The spirit brings about spirit. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now listen, if you want, you can dig real deep here. And I encourage you, we still have Romans study guides, Romans chapter 5, grab the study guide, go back and listen to the sermons. We take 45 minutes just to unpack this one thing. But here's the gospel in a nutshell. God made everything good. Genesis 1.31 says, On the sixth day after he made man, he looked at all he had made, and behold, it was very good, he said. So what's the problem with our world? We sinned, all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. We are like our first parents. We are of dust. 
We are of rib and we have sinned, every one of us, from Adam to us here now. And sin is the problem and sin deserves death. But we got a new federal head in the second Adam. We got a new representative. We were represented by Adam. We were represented by flesh. We are, have been represented by sin. But God sent a new representative. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived the perfect life that we have not lived. He became righteousness for our sake. He never did anything wrong. So he was able to save us from sin by absorbing, becoming our propitiation. He absorbed the wrath of God. God can't sweep sin under the rug. Somebody's got to pay the debt that sin requires. It was our job to pay that debt, but Jesus Christ came, lived perfect, pushed us out of the way, absorbed the wrath of God upon himself, and in place of our sin, he gives us his righteousness. No longer are we in the first Adam. We are now in Christ Jesus, the second Adam, who gave us his righteousness and will give us a resurrected body so we don't have to fear the greatest enemy that all humankind has feared, death and the grave itself. Jesus Christ paid the price. Jesus Christ saves us from sin. If you believe in Christ, you will receive a resurrected body to spend eternity with Jesus himself forever. If you do not believe, if you fall into the deception of Satan himself, you will spend eternity apart from the wrath or you will spend eternity apart from the love and the grace of Christ. You will spend eternity in the wrath of God. I beg you, if you're looking at pornography, don't be deceived. Stop sinning. If you're burdened by addiction, don't be deceived. Stop sinning. If you're cheating on your wife, if you're homosexual or you find yourself on some weird gender spectrum, don't be deceived. Stop sinning. As long as there is breath in your body, there is the candle of salvation burns brightly for you. There's still time to know the truth, to repent of your sin and to die in the knowledge that a resurrection body awaits you because God loves you and has done everything he can to save you from your sin. Hear the truth. 